know what you feel uh, as far as the responsibilities of representing mankind on this trip? That's uh, relatively difficult to, to answer. Uh, it's a job that, that we collectively said that was possible and we could do and, and of course that the nation itself is backing us so we just sincerely hope that we measure up to that. The whole Apollo program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. Apollo 11 has very simply been given the mission of carrying men to the moon, landing them there, and bringing them safely back. Absolutely amazing. Welcome to Crosstown today, and this Memorial Day is upon us. It not only provided us with the liberties and freedoms that we experience personally, but it also empowered us to be a nation of innovation and creativity and to empower us to do things like going to the moon. Uh, and this weekend, as you're going throughout your celebration, as you're enjoying your, your cookouts and all, uh, as a former Navy guy, I... Each rank has its different privileges. So if you're an enlisted person, you salute anybody that's an officer. If you're an officer and you're a lieutenant and a captain walks into the room, then it's required by the lieutenant to salute the captain, and it goes on and on and on. Of all the holidays in our uh, calendar, Veterans Day is a great thing, and we salute all the veterans that have done what they've done, but Memorial Day is the one that everybody salutes. So let me encourage you, as you're doing your cookouts, your pool parties, wherever you are gathering with your family, or if you're even you're just sitting at a bar enjoying some nachos with some other people, can I encourage you to maybe say a prayer, uh, to have a moment of just remembering why this day is being taken off? Could I even maybe dare you to uh, maybe say the Pledge of Allegiance together? And I know you think, well, that's absolutely crazy or radical. And if, if it's your house, and if you're the one that bought the steaks, then, um, then, then do it. Say the prayer. And if they don't like it, well, you just show them the door, you know. But let me encourage you, don't let this day go by. Part of our American dilemma today is that we have forgotten the price that was paid so that we could have the liberties that we share. And so it's up to us to to tell our children, to tell our families and our neighbors about the incredible price that was paid. So this July is an amazing July because it is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission landing on the moon. Now, I don't know if you're, you're jacked about it. I think Pokemon maybe gets more publicity than this will. But I was 10 years old when this all went down. I had my Saturn V rocket 
plastic model all glued together and, and sat in front of the TV with my family and watched every part of this mission. I remember watching the Mercury missions and then the Geminis and then Apollo came along. And, and I remember the edict that was put out by President Kennedy about us landing on the moon in that decade and coming back uh, and then returning home. And it was incredible as a young boy to watch this actually take place. And then um, it wasn't until later that I began to understand all that took place in order for us to hear the simple words, Houston, this is Tranquility Bay, the eagle has landed. And I can remember uh, as a culture of Americans, it didn't matter who you were, what color you were, you were what, how much money you had in the bank, what you did per, as a profession. It was an incredible moment for all humans to hear those words talked and spoken into our lives. And, and so the uprising of Jesus from the grave is very much has this impact on us, if not greater, or definitely greater. It was a declaration over the powers of everything that we fear, everything that we face, and it was an, it was an invitation to an uprising of the kingdom of God in us. The accomplishment of Jesus becomes our accomplishment. His rising from the dead becomes an empowerment so that we can rise from the dead and experience his kingdom. And Jesus, just like NASA speaking over the, over the microphone and as we heard it through the TV, Houston Control, Christ spoke to every one of his disciples and also to us out of Luke 17 and said, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts and among you and surrounding you. He began to make aware to us the reality, like, like Kennedy so many years ago, 50 years ago, declaring that we're going to do this. And then we saw that become a reality, that through the death and the resurrection of Christ, we saw a proclamation that the kingdom of God can be in your life. It can be a reality. We can bring the kingdom of God into your life if you'll receive the gift of Christ and begin to work it out in your life. So last week we looked at the uprising of the kingdom of, our, uh, of God in our lives. We looked at it in, particularly in the realm in, in values, our belief, and our courage to influence culture. Now, I spoke about H.R. 5 last week. We talked about equal, the Equality Act and that kind of, we stepped a little bit into the transgender issue, and can I just say that you folks were absolutely gracious um, throughout your listening of that. Um, there, there's, I, you know, nobody's left, nobody's gone anywhere. I had one man that came up to me and, and he said, listen, I disagree with you on this subject. He said, but I can't argue with you. And I said, why? Um, he said, because the way that you said it was so kind, I do know this, we do disagree, but you're not my enemy. And I, you know, if you try to accomplish anything as a pastor, you try to communicate truth in a way that brings people to the table instead of throws them away from the table. The fact that we live, live with, with disagreement, that's cool. That's called tolerance. But the fact that we can all have dignity and respect, and I thank you very much for allowing me to speak that, and also your ability to, even if you weren't in agreement with it, to at least hear it out and hear that it was done in, in the way that it provoked not only truth, but also the love of God. So last week we dealt with that. But today we're going to deal with something that, 
that is an uprising of the kingdom in our lives. And I believe the Apollo mission is a perfect illustration. We're going to talk about an uprising in marriage. Now, you may wonder, how in the world are you going to get Apollo all the way around to talking about marriage? If you're a young person here today, you might not be aware of all the moving parts that went on uh, with, involved in Landing on the Moon. Uh, in this animation, it's kind of a, a little, it just shows you some of the things that were taking place. You just hear about Apollo 11, and unless you were into it, unless you had the little models, unless you were following every part of it, you didn't realize that this is the stuff that was going on 250,000 miles away from the Earth. That these guys were traveling in speeds over 12,000 miles per hour, and they were pulling off these maneuvers. They were, you know, and all these things were being synchronized. There was an incredible launch. There were stages, transitions. There was the extracting and the utilization of resources and spaceships. There was teamwork. There was there was unity in the in the whole project. There was celebration of of landing on the moon, and then there was this. We've got to get all back together. We've got to get those guys off of the planet, join up together, and then begin this process of getting everyone home. It was incredible. And the fact that it all got pulled off with computers that have less power than the original iPhone is absolutely amazing. But it got accomplished, and it all worked out. Marriage can be very much like an Apollo mission. It, it very much can be like that. I mean, think about it. We all love a good launch. We, we invest as a pop, as a dad of, of, of three daughters, and I mean, I've had to pay out a lot of money for, for some launches. And we all love a good launch, and we all have our books of our incredible launches, and, and the marriages are awesome. But, but then there are the stages and the transitions. Apollo had three stages, and, and there was, you know, the boosters would fall off at a certain point, and then stage two would take them right to, the, to their orbit area, then stage three, and all these things, this, this trip went through, through these transitions, and marriages go through stages and transitions. There is the use of resources, the emotional resource, financial resources, the educational and intellectual resources that are necessary in order to make the mission of marriage take place. There is the teamwork and the unity that has to go on. There's a, you know, the people don't realize that they were living in these tight quarters, three men living together inside of this small capsule. There had to be teamwork and unity in what was going on. There were moments of celebration, as all marriages have, but then there were those challenges and those difficult situations to get it all back together, to hold it together. How do we get those guys off the moon and then we, we get them back together so that we can begin that journey called home? And that's what NASA did and, and that's what has to happen in a marriage and that's what takes place. If we put as much thought into marriage as NASA put into landing on the moon. I mean, if we actually did that kind of 
forethinking and planning and, and actually analyzing what, what is the mission, what is it we're trying to accomplish, and, and what are the different things that I need to put in place in order this to happen. I believe that if we put in the kind of work that NASA did, that the divorce rate and the marriage dissatisfaction rate would totally disappear. See, with NASA, they started with the end in mind. And the end of mind was to walk on the moon and return home. And I don't want you to miss that. President Kennedy mentioned it, but it also was part of the mission statement of NASA. It wasn't just to land on the moon, but it was this idea of also returning home. Success that doesn't bring everyone home, even in a marriage, is not a win. Just buying a house, just being able to have sex and live with somebody, you know, just being able to have money, that is not the win. There's this thing about that through the marriage, there should be a bringing of home. There should be a building of this unity and this, this, this oneness and this relationship. A lot of people think, well, if I get married, it will, it will resolve my loneliness. If I get married, I'll feel more fulfilled as a human being. That if I have this person in my life, that's all I need to do is to get married, and that's not it. The mission was greater than just achieving a wedding. But if you're going to put someone on the moon, you have to think about what life will be there. And NASA had to do that. And the thing is, is they didn't have the advantage of having already been there. So you have to be very intentional about understanding the atmosphere, the geology, and the gravity. So you really got to try to figure out, okay, if we get there, if, if we arrive at that location, um, what is the gravity going to be like? When they step out, and if you listen to some of the dialogue, I recommend you download or you, you uh, rent Apollo 11 on Amazon, it's an incredible movie, uh, the footage that we used up here today. But when they stepped out on the moon for the first time, they were not exactly sure what was going to happen when he put his foot down. They didn't realize whether or not the, the lunar module was going to sink into the terrain or whether his foot was going to sink. They weren't really, and you can hear the dialogue, him trying to give them a, a, you know, metaphors or analogies of what it was like, like walking in, in an American desert, and he, and he begins to give them information. But they, they, they have to do the research that if we're going to live up there, if we're going to walk up there, we got to understand something about the geology, the atmosphere. You have to know what you want from the moon. What is the experience you want? Um, what is the knowledge while you're up there that you, wanna, you want to get? I mean, they, they put out instrumentation. And also, what is the swag that you want to bring home? What do you want us to collect? We're going to put it in a bag and we grab some rocks and things, but you got to decide, what is my experience? What is the knowledge that we want to gain that we're there? And also, what do we want to bring back? You have to be willing to utilize principles that... People living on Earth Prime are not going to use, and I use the phrase Earth Prime, it's going to become a word in our dictionary. It's going to be a phrase. The Artemis program, which was announced that we're going to do the Artemis program if we can get the $1.8 billion in order to get that thing started, that we will be back, we'll put uh, men and women back on the moon in 2024. By 2028, the plan is to have a colony on the moon. This will, where we live right now will be referred to as Earth Prime. But if you're, if you're going to 
live in a different way than we are here currently, then you've got to utilize principles that maybe don't work right here, but they will work up there. So this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians. He begins to give us some insights on what will make a marriage work. What are the, some of the elements, the geology, the atmosphere? Um, what are some of the things that we have to deal with uh, on, in this relationship called marriage that maybe as a single person we don't have to deal with or we really don't understand? And remember that we're going to look at things that people may not be doing on Earth prime. And if you want to walk on the moon, you may have to wear something that is not very comfortable that you would wear on, uh, on planet Earth. I mean, we see somebody walking around in a big white suit on, on planet Earth, and you go out to the beach, and, and somebody's wearing this big suit. We're going to think you're a wacko. I mean, or, or, or some sort of uh, hazmat event has occurred, and we all need to get off of the beach. But you see that exact same person standing on the moon, you're like, I get that. So as we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's principles, now standing here, we may look and say, yeah, I don't know if I get that, and I don't get that, and I don't get that. And the Apostle Paul would tell us, listen, yeah, I know you don't get this. You don't wear this spacesuit with the current cultural way of thinking, and also if individualism is, is, is your outcome, if, if that's what you want, if that's your mission, is to just have a more fulfilled you, well then right, this, this is gonna be totally weird. But if you want to have a God-blessed marriage, then you're probably gonna wear a space suit that feels a little bit different than wearing a bathing suit on planet Earth. So some of the principles we will hear, you may think they're crazy, and they are. If you want a cultural bound marriage, if that's what you want, then everything the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, he's kind of our mission control, our NASA, you know, our forward thinking, this stuff is going to sound crazy. But if you want a God-blessed, God-intended type of marriage that lasts, that brings everyone home, then it's, there is going to be a spacesuit involved. There's going to be something different than the way that, that you walked out your life as an 18-year-old or as a single person or maybe in the first marriage that you had. So I know when you hear this, you're going to think some of it sounds like it's from out of space. But don't be shocked. You're not shocked when you see somebody wearing a spacesuit on the, on the moon. And God is going to communicate to us through his word that in order to have a great marriage, to have a God-blessed marriage, we're going to have to live life a little bit differently than we would normally live it on earth prime, all by ourselves. So the Apostle Paul launches in Ephesians 5, verse 21. He says this, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, Be, subject to, be willing to submit your orbit to a new outcome. The idea of you have your orbit and she has her orbit and that your orbits, you're just kind of hoping that you'll end up with a good marriage is not going to get it done. But rather, he says, it all begins with you subjecting your, or, your orbit to one another. Jesus subjected his orbit to his heavenly father, but yet while declaring that him and his father were one and that they were both part of this mystery called the Trinity. So subjecting didn't mean subordinate. It didn't mean less than. 
It didn't mean girls are better than boys or boys are better than girls. What it meant was an overlapping of visional orbits. And the Apostle Paul is saying in order to have a marriage that God can work in, and there's got to be, there's got to be a subjecting of the orbits. You've got to, it can't be just two people living together. It's got to be bringing these orbits together. And the interesting thing is that it's an actual command. And that's really important. He says, be subject to one another. And, and the reason why it's a command is because it's not like it's obvious that guys are better than girls. So he's, he's, not, he's not doing it based upon that. He's saying, no, I'm commanding you to be subject to each other because unless you put on this spacesuit, your, your earth prime behavior will be to fight each other, to try to rule over each other. That's the default system. But he also says, do this out of reverence for Christ. See, this is the Houston control. See, while the guys were up there flying through orbit, they didn't change the mission. You know, they're not out there hot rodding in their, you know, command module, and it's like, hey, dude, you know, let, let's, just, let's just ditch the moon thing, and, and let's, let's, let's head towards Mars. Let's change this up a little bit, or, or let's land on the dark side of the moon instead of on the light side of the moon. Let's, let's change it up. But rather, the astronauts, with all their capabilities, all their flying abilities, all their understanding about the mission, allowed Houston Control to determine where they were going to land, where it was all going to take place, when it was going to take place. And the apostle says, submit yourself to one another, not because you proved which one was better than the other, but because Houston Control needs to be in charge of this. So Buzz Aldrin, the, the, you know, who is the LEM pilot, realizes that Neil Armstrong is the mission commander, not because he's better, but he realizes that, okay, this is how this is going to work. That's what's going to get us to the moon. But could you imagine Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong up there in the lunar module coming down, fighting over which one of them was going to be the first one to walk out of the, out of, of the, of the lunar module? Can you imagine what that fight would have looked like? I can just imagine the video feed going down and you as they're trying to fight who's going to get out the door first. But it took Houston control to determine what it was going to be like so that there wouldn't be a fight. So let's go into some of this, this walking on the moon type of language. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior, just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Now I know, you stunned yet? Like I told you, it's not like breathing on earth. Don't be surprised that if God's talking about a kingdom and he's talking about his kingdom and how it's going to be worked out, why are we surprised that you can't wear a bikini on the moon? None of us are surprised about that. But yet we would consider going to the moon so good, so advantageous, so progressive, so fulfilling to our mission that we would be willing to actually limit our civil liberties. That each gender would be willing to say, okay. And, and I know it's like, man, well, this is kind of bulky. 
You know, the husband's the head of the wife. I mean, what kind of, you know, patriarchal language is this? Now, here's one of the things that I think is funny is the word head there, and, and, and and it's talking about responsibility. It's not talking about gender supremacy in any way because the apostle would not have said, wives, submit to your husbands if we weren't already co-capable. He has to actually align them. It's like, yeah, I know you can fly it. You know, Michael Collins, I know you could land the lunar module, but I'm going to need you to stay up in the command module, and I need you to fly around. You're not going to land on the moon. Sorry about it, but you're not going to land on the moon. You're going to be up there to rescue these guys when they come flying up in their little, you know, Winnebago, and, and they're, they're trying to come back up, and, and you're spinning at 12,000 miles an hour around this, you know, and you're going to line up. I'm going to need you to do that job. Are you going to be okay with that? I know you could walk on the moon, but I need somebody to do, I needed to do control module stuff. And he didn't for a second think that that was a less than position to have. And I also have learned this, that this idea of headship, and I know it kind of, you know, crawls on you a little bit when you hear it. And I have, I have been in two marriages, and I have observed a lot of marriages, And I do know this, that if somebody doesn't appoint the head, one will emerge, okay? Um, If you think marriage is going to succeed as um, a his and hers operation, it never works. If you think it's going to work because it's just cohabitation, it never works. It will end up being her versus him every single time. But if we're down here trying to figure it out, and, and I, I see a lot of marriages where, okay, the guy is, doesn't act like he, you know, he's the head of the family. And I'll, I can talk to you for about five minutes as a couple. And I can tell you, I, I will never come out of it saying, wow, I, there's no headship in this relationship. I will just, I will be able to tell you in five minutes who's running this, this marriage. Um, so the Apostle Paul Instead of us arm wrestling each other in our marriages and fighting each other and who makes more money and what is the stronger sex and all this other stuff, he's like, okay, so that you guys don't fight about this, I'm just going to go ahead and pick one. Now, there's some deeper ramifications of why it gets picked this way, but he's kind of like, I know you're going to fight over this. I know that every marriage has got to have somebody that the buck stops with them and they're responsible. And they're not the best pilot. They're not the smartest pilot. But I know somebody's going to become the head, so I'm going to go ahead and pick it for you so that you guys don't fight over it. It It will be determined one way or another. Armstrong was the mission commander. There was no fight over that. But he was not the lead pilot. It didn't mean that he was better with the lunar module than Buzz Aldrin was. But it continues, this conversation. For the other astronaut flying in the marriage, God also has insight. Ephesians 5.25 continues, and, and it talks in the languages, is just as spacey as the first. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah. Now, ladies, I know you think that should be an easy suit for us to wear. Just as we think it should be an easy easy suit for you to honor us. We don't get why you have a problem with that. That makes perfect sense for you to wear that suit. But you know what? This laying down our lives for our wives, 
That's spacey talk too. You know, that's, that's difficult language. That is, that is a violation of my civil liberties to be able to fish and hunt and golf and uh, own a four-by-four and, and go when I want to go and come back when I want and hang out with the guys and all the different things that we want to do. Th- those things sounded really shallow, didn't they? <laughs> Just saying them out loud is like, dang, that's what guys live for? <laughs> oh, but... But he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. See, husbands, your trajectory should look exactly the same as Christ loved the church. Whoa, dude, I just got married because she was hot. You know, I just got married because of the sex, or we just got married because our moms and dads were giving us a hard time about living in sin, or, or we just got married for the tax benefit, or we just got married for the potential financially that we could accomplish together. But no, husband's wives, husband's trajectory should look exactly like Christ. Sacrifice, cherishing, protecting, beautifying. Boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? Say, instead of husbands demanding that their wives look beautiful, look hot, whatever it may be, it's like we're finding out, it's like, no, you bring, you as the man, you as responsible for this relationship, you bring the beauty to the relationship. You beautify her. And likewise, it said, well, I can't honor a man I don't respect. Well, ladies, you bring that to the equation. Even, even when the respect may be trailing, you're supposed to bring this component to it. Just as there may, may, may not be a lot of beauty in this, this relationship. But guys, instead of holding back or disconnecting from your wife because the beauty element's not there, he's telling us, no, guys, you are to love your wife and so, much, so much that you are bringing the beauty to the relationship, not her body. So he continues, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. See, that's mission control telling husbands to change their flight pattern and to fly to your wife guys way too often their trajectories become disconnected from their spouse i mean guys i do it all the time my wife has particular things that she wants in her life she has particular vision for her life she has particular needs for her life and i can just you know come home from work give her a kiss hey how was your day it's great I can tell she's all revved up and she wants to talk about it, but I'm outside 10 minutes later underneath the Subaru, ratcheting up some bolts, changing, rotating the tires, anything, but sitting in there talking to her about how her day went. It's something that guys can do. I mean, we're really good at being disconnected from relationships, disconnected from parenting. 
And the apostle tells us, like mission control, he said, listen, this is the reason. You, this is what you need to do. Guys, you need to leave your orbit of, of self, self-living, and you need to join your wife's orbit. You need to be a part of creating this, this new orbit. Husbands are not to drift off and leave the family behind. Paul continues and repeats this whole thing. He says in Ephesians 5.33, This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and to the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should honor her husband. I know these sound like spacesuits, but if you want to walk in the kingdom of God, which is not, did not originate on earth prime, if you want the kingdom of heaven to be in your life, you got to be willing to operate in that atmosphere. And God lays out what that spacesuit looks like. And I want to say this, and I, I have to say it very slowly and very carefully. If you want to fight for chauvinism or radical feminism, okay, if you want to fight for chauvinism or radical feminism, do it outside of your marriage orbit. Okay, if... if, if if you want to fight over those things culturally, I get it. Um, that's your right to do that. But when it comes to marriage, we need to be so mission-focused that those concepts, those fights, don't work in the marriage uh, kingdom. They don't, that's not how you're going to walk on the moon by two of you fighting for who's is who's, who's in charge, who's right, who makes the most money, and constantly stri- striking for, for a demand of equality. His and hers will not get it done. Him versus her will not get it done in a great marriage. But rather subjecting yourselves to one another. Husbands altering the course of their trajectory to the, into the realm of sacrifice and cherishing. Wives altering the course of their lives through bringing honor to their husbands. An uprising beyond the stereotypes and the mores of earth prime. So as we move into this moment of expressions, and this is kind of a moment when the trajectory of everything that we do here at Crosstown is, comes down to a conversation between you and God. We kind of do the things that are of the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. It's a, a time of prayer, a time of communion, a time of, of giving. It's a time of maybe writing a note and talking to God and, and pinning something to the cross. But it is a moment when we enter into the atmosphere of what God is doing in our lives. But if marriage is going to work, we need an uprising to forgiveness. That's a major uprising. If we choose to forgive in our marriages, we need an uprising to attack bitterness. We need an uprising to live higher than the power of anger. We need an uprising to invest in winning moments and celebrating them together. We need men to become an uprising, to become men of God. Women, uprising to be women of God. Will that interfere with your earth prime civil liberties? Absolutely. I've already had one bad marriage and I'm 31 years into my 
marriage of life, marriage with my wife, Susan. The reason why 80% of all second marriages fail is not because you picked the wrong person again, is that you still use earth prime principles to make the second marriage work. See, the first marriage usually ends because you wanted to land on the moon and you ended up in your shorts and flip-flops and all of a sudden you suffocated to death and within one second you froze to death and it was over. The problem is, is we think in the second marriage, I don't have to alter anything other than the person that I'm taking the journey with. I'll get the right man, the right woman, and then it will let, it's like, no, it takes, it takes principles for landing on that on that surface. So let me encourage you. God wants you to be an uprising, but a, a man of God. Not just a man of America, not just a man of our times, but a man of God. And you will look weird on the, on the surface of the earth, but it will fit perfectly in the kingdom of God. There are two phrases that you're going to hear in your marriage. And they are all based upon your preparation and your execution. And NASA gives them both to us. You are all either going to hear, Houston, the eagle has landed, or Houston, we have a problem. Let me encourage you. I know there's a lot of cultural inequities that have occurred in our country, and they need to be overturned. But those kinds of fights will not win your marriage. That's not where you should be having that battle. If you, if you want your marriage to succeed and have the blessings of God, you know, it's interesting. As soon as they land on the moon, they change their designation. It's just like in, Navy, in the Navy ships. As soon as they land, the actual phrase is, Houston, this is Tranquility Bay. The eagle has landed. All of a sudden, their call sign changes. But I think it's interesting. If you want to land in tranquility in marriage, you're going to have to do it differently. They didn't land on in the realm of cohabitation or his and hers. They entered into a place of peace and experiencing what they had always sought. In this last few minutes, as we take communion, we give our offering, as maybe you sit and have a worship moment, a moment of prayer, let me, let me just ask you to think, are you serving culture or are you willing to think differently about marriage? If you're single here today, and I already had one gentleman tell me he was going to put earplugs in because this didn't pertain to him, we planned for 10 years to land on that planet. If you're single here today, these principles, you need to start visioning your marriage with these principles in mind. Father, as we come in this place with you into a new atmosphere, a new gravity, Lord God, give us your spirit that we may think differently. Give us your wisdom that we, we may walk differently. Lord God, help us through the power of the spirit and the example of Jesus to establish a new orbit for our marriages, for our dating, for our families, how we live as a single person. Help us to establish orbits that will land 
on your kingdom with all of its blessings. You said the kingdom of God can dwell within me and surround me. So Father, today, we join with you and align ourselves with you to prepare ourselves to walk in that atmosphere. Let me encourage you to receive Christ in your life and to allow him to speak his wisdom and his truth to you.